Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Anne Dunn. Anne is the founder of Cat Town, a cat rescue organization in Oakland, California, that focuses on helping the most vulnerable cats from local municipal shelters. Cat Town was inspired by Anne's time as a volunteer at Oakland's municipal shelter, where she saw that cats who are too scared in that environment to show their best selves were passed over by potential adopters and rescue partners. After realizing that the shelter cats who most need the intervention were least likely to get it, Anne created Cat Town to save those cats. When Anne began volunteering at the Oakland shelter in 2009, she'd worked for over 20 years as a management consultant in public housing redevelopment, focusing on planning and funding major redevelopment projects. From that perspective, she saw the shelter as a critical community resource that lacked the funding to fulfill its mission. She also saw the opportunity to apply her professional skills to address the high euthanasia rate at Oakland Animal Shelter. When Anne founded Cat Town in 2011, the euthanasia rate for cats was 42%. By focusing on the cats most, most likely to be euthanized, Cat Town has helped over 1,700 cats and helped reduce the euthanasia rate to 14% in 2016. Under Anne's leadership, Cat Town has grown in six years to an organization with four full-time and five part-time staff members and over 150 volunteers. In 2014, Cat Town opened the first cat cafe in the United States and just opened an adoption center for the hardest-to-place cats. Anne, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's a pleasure having you here, and boy, you have been very, very busy, and I can't wait to hear about upcoming programs and everything, but I'd like to first find out, how did you get started and really interested in helping cats? So the truth is I I, I didn't grow up with cats. I didn't really, <laughs> cats were not even on my radar screen until after I graduated from college, and then I ended up adopting two cats, Langston and Tea Cake. And it was in their memory after they both passed away when they were 15 and 16 that my husband and I started volunteering at our city shelter. And I went in there thinking I was just going to, you know, do my little two hours a week, never imagining it would lead to starting a rescue organization. But I just, I really just became obsessed with, with helping those cats when I saw how difficult a situation it is for them once they come into a shelter environment and, you know, recognizing that potential adopters are not willing to take a risk on stressed cats, that there weren't any rescue partners to, to take cats out of the shelter that wouldn't otherwise be adopted at the shelter. So I, I just felt like I needed to do something. And so was Cat Town your idea or did you have a group of friends come together to create Cat Town? How did that whole name come about as well as, you know, the actual nonprofit? Oh, to start with the name, there's, I used to live in West Oakland in a neighborhood called Dogtown. 
and oh. <laughs> um, there were <laughs> and there were tons of feral cats, and so I used to always say, "Oh, this should be called Cat Town." And so it was just sort of my ode to Oakland um, was the name. And and the truth is, I mean, you think about how many ideas people have at you know at any time. I mean, sometimes I look back at it and I think I, I can't believe I actually did start this. I, I had the idea, you know, it, it was ruminating really for a couple of years of just looking at what are the variables at play in the shelter setting that create obstacles to these cats getting adopted. And so the things that I was thinking about is the obvious. You put a cat in a cage and you surround them by barking dogs. Most cats aren't going to do well in that environment. People who are interested in adopting, you know, really need to look beyond that cage reaction to see the, the real cat. And that's that's a, a big ask. But I, I saw all these cats that I thought, I'm just a normal person, and I want to help these cats. I'm sure there are lots of other people that want to help as well. So, I mean, I think back to the time when I – when it really – I feel like after thinking about it for a couple of years, this idea popped into my head that was Cat Town, and, and that was really – because I, I didn't have any history in rescue and I really didn't know what I was doing. My original idea was to have a kind of quasi-sanctuary adoption center with a cat cafe. And not a cat cafe in the in the sense that we know it today, but what I thought back then was let's have a cafe as a way to lure people in to spend time with the cats. And I went to the person who was the shelter director at the time, who's super progressive, and I always say cares as much as I do about these animals. And I told her that I wanted to start a rescue organization for the adoptable cats that are being killed at the shelter. And what she told me is there are no adoptable cats being killed. And that what I would find is these are really difficult cats, uh, that nobody wants them. She also said, if you want to do this, I'll support you. But I think, you know, in doing it, you'll see why it can't be done. So <laughs> I, mm. I took that and I went to fellow volunteers and I said, what do you think about this? And there were several people who said, let's do it. Like, we, we have to try. And so I think the interesting thing for me looking back on it, and I always emphasize that the director, it, it wasn't a lack of compassion. It was... You see a cat in a cage and that cat is lunging at the front of the cage or that cat is just completely shut down. It's hard not to assume that is the cat. And if you take that same cat and you kill him, you'll never know the difference. So I think from a shelter perspective, you see these difficult behaviors. You make these what are I know to be very hard calls. I know nobody feels good about doing this. And then you never see anything to contradict what your what your perception was. And so I do think that one of the, the best things that we've done is we've taken these, and I'm using air quotes, difficult cats, and got them into an environment where they feel safe. And then you mm -hmm. see a wholly different cat. So that's really our overarching mission is put cats into an environment where they feel safe, let potential adopters meet them there. Well, and the other takeaway that I think is really good from this story is that it doesn't hurt to try, you know, and right. so if somebody feels like they want to try something, they can. Anybody can try and make something happen. It doesn't have to be one person says, oh, well, you can't do it because you can. I mean, when when I was told, you know, TNR doesn't work, well, we tried it and it does work. And so it's one of those things where, you know, try and see. So you believed in yourself and you believed that you had an opportunity and it wasn't going to hurt anybody, you know, it wasn't going to do anybody any harm. So 
so why not try it? And that was, just so that I'm getting the timeline correct, that was sort of before 2009 you, when you were so, thinking that way? I, I, I started volunteering around 2008, 2009, and I started Cat Town in, in I started the incorporation process in 2010. Okay. And then you and might I would have say, had just, found, a, found a group of people to be on your board of directors at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, you know, originally when we when we first started, the one of the people who's still on our board, who was one of our original board members, is a longtime shelter volunteer. And then, you know, in, in truth, I just had a couple other people, sort of in name only. Um, mm-hmm. It's been a real evolution as an organization. Um, that around the time that we started, we opened the cafe, which is around 2014. You know, really expanded our board and really started operating as a more professional organization. I mean, we were really just going by the seat of our pants um, when we first started. Right. Well, and that's you have to start small in the beginning, and then right. and then build up from there. And um, you know. You you learn definitely every stage as the organization grows, you learn a lot of different different lessons. So from all of this sprung a program called the Forgotten Kittens Project. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So, you know, I always think that there's there's so much that we did because we didn't know it couldn't be done. And so the Forgotten Kitten Project is a great example of that. So when I first started volunteering at the shelter, one of the things that I saw that just didn't make sense to me was kittens that came into the shelter that are four, five, six, seven months old who are otherwise healthy um, were being euthanized. And, you know, I came to understand it was because it was so, they are so difficult to socialize and that that ideal window for socializing them has closed. And, but it, but it also, it seemed like there's, you know, another um, situation where maybe with a different approach we could, we could save these cats. And so one of the things that we learned really truly by happenstance once we open our cat cafe is that if we can bring these kittens that, usually come into the shelter and traps, have had no positive human interaction and are and are difficult to socialize in a normal, like either foster home or um, you know, just kind of a one on one situation. We found if we bring these kittens into our cat cafe, give them access to confident cats and really let them become desensitized to what is a very active environment where we have hundreds of visitors coming in each week and, you know, full range of the little kids and, you know, people who are really sensitive and people who aren't in terms of just wanting to interact with the cats. And it makes these cats so resilient. I mean, it's really, I call it miracle grow for the kittens because what we see is these kittens who initially we can't touch, they're as afraid of us as we are of them. But just by giving them access to the confident cats and, you know, it's a monkey see, monkey do situation where little by little they start to mimic those same behaviors and eventually become confident cats and and we're able to find homes for them. So we actually just got a grant from Maddie's Fund to do a research project, which is the main goal of it is to really document what it is that we're seeing with the hopes of inspiring others to give these guys a chance. So is that an apprenticeship program or is that also, is that a separate project? This is a separate project. This is through their idea lab. And it's, it's exciting that what they're trying to do with the idea lab is fund innovative programs with the hope that they can be replicated. And so one of the questions that we're asking ourselves is we see this every single kitten that we put into this environment 
And no matter what their starting point, eventually they'll become socialized. Eventually they'll be adoptable. And what Maddie's is asking is, you know, what are the variables that are at play that could be replicated? Like, do you, do you need to have a cat cafe? Um, and part of the cat cafe is just that there are so many visitors. Um, and so mm-hmm. what we what we've boiled it down to is we think there must be confident cats and there must be integration. And so, you know, having having fearful cats in a room by themselves and, you know, just go in and every once in a while spend time with them. It is so different than having them in the mix and letting them just watch and see lots of different things going on. So um, the hope is that we will be able to show that our cats will get socialized, which we know they will because we've been doing this for a while, and then that it can be replicated at a few other organizations. And if that goes well, then um, on a grander scale. That's great. Oh, I, I'm a big fan of benchmarking and taking a project and replicating it over and over again as it develops its successes and that kind of thing. So in addition to that, you also have an apprenticeship program with Maddie's Fund? So we're we're really excited about this. So we are another piece of, of the Maddie's Fund is the sharing sharing innovative ideas with other organizations. And so we've been invited to be a host organization where we have, over the course of a year, 24 people from 24 different organizations come spend a week with us and shadow us just to see what it is we're doing. And the thing that's been really interesting about it is a lot of the organizations that we've hosted so far are really well-funded, really well-established, but they don't help hard-to-place cats or not in any meaningful scale. And so people are coming to see how we do it. And, and, and you know, I was, we just had a group in a couple of weeks ago. And at the end of the week, I said, there's, you know, you can see there's really no magic here. All we're doing is giving these guys a chance and we're giving mm-hmm. them, a, you know, a positive environment and we're giving them time. And so one of the things that it's made me think so much about is, and, and this is partly where I came to the idea of starting Cat Town is, you know, the typical rescue model is for very confident, uh, young, healthy cats. And the the benchmark, you know, the thing that we talk so much about is length of stay. And so if your goal as an organization is to have a short length of stay and to achieve that, you're not going to take a lot of chances. So, you know, if you mm-hmm. see a cat who's in a cage and is, you know, cover, ho- hovering in the back of the cage, you don't really know who that cat is until you get them out. So what I think what most organizations, certainly that I see locally, um, what they're really focused on is on cats that are at the front of the cage. They're really confident that they think they can turn quickly. And we, we're, we're you know, we're really just trying to give everybody else a shot. And so it, I think that it doesn't happen as quickly for some of our cats, certainly. And I always say if we were the only game in town, we would do that same thing. I mean, it makes sense. And because we're in the San Francisco Bay Area, I feel like we have the luxury in some ways of really focusing just on the hard to place because all the easy cats are already being cared for. Let's make helping cats in your community easier. 
Join me and over 10 exceptional leaders for the first ever online CAT conference. This virtual conference will be held January 26th through 28th, 2018, and will feature speakers like Brian Cordes of Neighborhood Cats, Hannah Shaw, the Kitten Lady, Katie Lisnick of the Humane Society of the United States, Nell Thompson from Getting to Zero in Australia, and many, many more. This is an affordable opportunity to learn from nationally and internationally known leaders in the field of community cat management and care. To find out more details, please go to www.communitycatspodcast.com and sign up today to register. Fees go up on December 1st. Let's make helping cats easier in your community. The Community Cats podcast will soon be a year old with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of community cats. If you would like to support the show, but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the donate link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming. Yeah, we run into that too in, in Massachusetts where, you know, all the easy to adapt cats are definitely being adapted out, you know, very quickly. I will say that our more traditional shelters are very aggressive about uh, helping, you know, the 19-year-old thyroid cat. And Mm -hmm. they're also taking, adopting out feline leukemia positive cats now. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we have to uh, look at our metrics and also our mission and not let the metrics overtake the mission. And they, you know, and I, and I think that, at some point in time, we have to worry about what our metrics are actually saying to us. And, and it's something that I've looked at, you know, our shelter statistics, they are not telling us the whole story. So, you know, I think that there's a place for statistics out there, but we have to be careful to depend on them as representing the whole story because the live release rate at the organization that I worked at is lower than a more traditional shelter but that's because we have a very strong feline leukemia adoption program. We have a lot more compromised cats. I mean, you have to look at the makeup of what's walking through the doors, too. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's one of the things that I think so much about is I, I wish that the broader community had a greater understanding of, you know, what's the difference between an open admission shelter and a private organization that, you know, can really control their intake. And, you know, I... I think about being at a, I think it was probably a, <clears throat> a Petco store, and I, 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 at the end of my purchase, um, I was asked, did I want to make a donation to a no-kill shelter? And I said, if you want to solve the problem, make a donation to a high-kill shelter and, you know, don't starve them of resources and blame them for not being able to solve the problem. So I, I think that there's, yeah, there's just such a misunderstanding in, you know, kind of what is the broader need of the community and how are your community partners addressing it? And I, I wish that we could have that conversation a little more frankly and be able to dispense with all of this. I mean, of course you have to measure things. It's crazy not to, to do that, but it's just as you say, to, to let the measurement be the guiding decision-making force for which animals you help. I mean, I feel like we're kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater with that. Right. It's, it's, it's tough because, you know, we have a return to field programs now, which really helps statistically helps the shelters, but yet I have mixed feelings about 
return to fields to a certain degree. I mean, I, I certainly, I, I always used to say when we had to return to field in the nineties, when we were doing very, very high volume trapping and there was a super friendly cat and we needed to do return to field, you know, I called it the room at the end cat. And so we would return the cat, but then three months later, when we had room at the end, we would go back and get that cat and bring that cat back in. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be a forgotten space, so to, you know, so to speak. But it, there's a very, very fine balancing act. And it gets really hard as we evolved over time. You know, in the wintertime for us in New England, we could really scoop up a lot of cats that could be placed where, you know, in July, we had to make different choices about who was getting returned versus who was going to stay in the sheltering system. Nowadays, in, in New England, it, populations are so low that we really don't even have to ask those questions too often, even in July. So we're actually at a really good place. But it's very interesting. This conversation, the questions, the very uh, heady and philosophical questions and that kind of thing. But I think it's great to have, be able to have those questions and well, conversations. I'm so glad you brought up the, the return to field because I, I mean, every community has to come up with their own solutions, right? There's, I mean, like what you're talking about, you're, you're, <laughs> you're years ahead of where we are, you know, in terms of having solved so many problems in, in the community. So, so you have different things that you can think about. But I was at a conference recently and I was in a cat discussion and somebody said to another organization um, who wasn't familiar with the return to field, don't you know that you can just put the cats back outside and and then you don't have to worry about your live release rate? And I was so horrified yep. because, yeah, and so we talk about going so far in the other direction. I mean, especially in comparison to what we're doing, where we're, we're in a situation where we work really closely with our municipal shelter. We have a great partnership with them. So we try to focus on what they can't do. So they have a great adoption um, program for confident cats. They have a great foster program for, you know, eight-week-old eight kittens. They now have a great working cat program where they're doing really great placements for feral cats. So we're not in a situation in Oakland where return to field is anything that anyone's even talking about. It just it doesn't make sense in this context. But the thing that scares me so much about this right, crazy like wildfire adoption of return to field is it just to me seems like washing your hands of the problem in, in a lot of ways. So you're losing the infrastructure to support these cats in in the shelter environment. If all you're saying is they come in and we put them right back out, <laughs> and then you know, you know, I mean, cats are so varied in who they mm-hmm. are and what they need. There's no way that that it, that's a good situation for every single cat. So anyway, we're obviously saying something similar, but yeah, that I I, I wish we could really take a pause on that and think seriously about what that means for cats in the longer term. Right. And as an organization, you know, really don't allow for any sort of mission drift to happen just because you're thinking about your statistics. Really stay true, stay focused to your mission first and foremost, and then, you know, everything else will will wash out at the end. And as you just said earlier, you know, we all don't want to have to, you know, euthanize cats unnecessarily. So, you know, you're partnering with the community, you have to make choices at any given time. A choice that you might have to make in July might be different than a choice you make in February, but you have to make those choices. 
and I think the most important part is that you're engaged with your local community and that you're not just passing through and, you know, doing some spay neuters for the weekend and then you're gone and off to another community that you're engaged or participating. You're really targeting for years your efforts in your community and you're not, you're not going anywhere so that then, you know, you've got this relationship and partnership and it's just, it's a long-standing project and you'll be so much more successful that way. Great. Great. So let's talk for a few minutes about your cat cafe. You opened the first cat cafe in the United States and we can talk for a few minutes about that experience. Looking back, if you had known what it would take in order to open a cat cafe, would you have done it again? <laughs> I ask myself frequently, honestly. Um, I mean, it's it's been such a gift. And, and it's not so much the cat cafe. I mean, I think... We, I mean, certainly was never in it the attention to be, to have that be the sole focus of our organization. I mean, we operated for three and a half years before we did that. Um, the truth is when we first opened, I really thought we had made a huge mistake because initially we created an environment that we thought would really only work for more confident cats. And so I was saying, you know, here here with our very limited resources, we've created a resource for the cats that don't need us. And, you know, we're still going to the shelter and seeing all these cats in the holding area that have no other options, but most of them wouldn't do well in the cafe. I mean, it was truly a crisis um, initially of like, what have we done? And But because we have been able to transition it to service our forgotten kittens, what we're seeing is... At any point in time, if you come into the cat cafe, about 80% of the cats that are in there are forgotten kittens, and they're somewhere on the trajectory. So they're not all at the beginning, so we don't have 80% super fearful. We have you know, a few that are super fearful and just getting started on their journey, and then we have cats that are going down that road. And so the, the cats that come in as super fearful eventually become the role models. And we also have, um, we, I call it like sourdough starter. We always have a few truly confident cats, you know, cats that were really well socialized, um, just to be the role models. Um, so because we've been able to transition the space in that way, I am so thrilled that we have it, but it's so much work. It's so much, so, um, challenging. Um, and just in terms of like, we're, we're a really small organization and I, we're financially so at our limit all of the time. So there's, there's a lot about it that I, I struggle with, but I, I feel confident that in the long run, this is definitely the right decision. It's a business. I mean, it's multiple layers of actually do two businesses. You have a nonprofit arm. Well, and the cat cafe is also a nonprofit arm, but it's the cafe. You have a health, I would assume you have a health board issue that you have to deal with in combination with the cafe with the animal side of things. It seems like with cat cafes, that is a challenging overlap. One of the really great things is January of um, 2017, we actually started subletting the, the actual cafe to another business. So uh-huh. we don't have anything to do with the cafe anymore. 
and we now just have the adoption center. So it was that, I mean, I would say of all of the issues that we had when we first opened is we're a rescue organization and we, all of us on our team want to be helping cats and nobody wanted to be standing in a cafe making coffee. So that part was really challenging. And then as you say, it is a real business. And so you can't do it half-heartedly. And we were not by the, by the end of the time that we had the cafe, we were starting to lose money. So it was really challenging. And so now we're, now we're in a great place in kind of the best of both worlds is we still technically are a cat cafe um, in that there's a cafe uh, under the same roof, um, but Cat Town doesn't run it anymore. That's very, very interesting. And it's, uh, I, I hear the sigh of relief definitely coming from you on that one. So and you can, they're, you, they're definitely different models, you know, always thinking about different types of models. How can you work something and make it happen? And I have heard of so many different cat cafe models that I don't think that there is a, you know, this is the perfect plan type scenario because there are so many different rules and regulations in each community that you have to be careful and things may have to change from what one town may have or one city may have versus versus another. So if right. folks are interested in finding out more about the work you're doing, about Cat Town in general, how would they find you? The easiest place to start is our website, which is cattownoakland.org. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? No, I can't think of anything. I think that it's been great um, to have this conversation and um, I think that's it. Yeah, it's wonderful to hear about what's going on in Oakland. Uh, over the years, I've always heard great things about San Francisco and then Oakland. And uh, it sounds like you've got a lot of attention and interest in partnering with Maddie's Fund. So that sounds great. So if folks are interested in finding out about that apprenticeship program, they probably could contact your organization or, you know, contact Maddie's to find out more about that. And uh, I think that would be great for more folks to find out about the Forgotten Kittens Project and finding out the work that you're doing. So, Anne, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show and I hope we'll have you on again in the future. Well, great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to a Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more Community Cats. 